0: 117 by Rudolf Steiner, entitled Deeper Secrets of Human Evolution in the Light of the Gospels. This is uh, 12 lectures, translated by Christiana Bryan. This is Lecture 3, given in Berlin on the 2nd of November, 1909, entitled Four Differing Perspectives in Depicting Christ in the Four Gospels. Observations made in connection with the Gospels of St. John and St. Luke and the associated reflections on which we focused, can be characterized in no other way than by saying that they originate from the following perception, that the being whom we name as Christ Jesus, in so far as modern human understanding can conceive of this entelechy at all, is a being of such magnitude, such all-encompassing might, that no study can proceed from one-dimensional statements, as to who Christ was, nor what significance his presence entails for each individual human spirit, for every single human soul. Amid our considerations, this would have appeared irreverent in face of the world's most vast mystery. Our observations are characterized by an attitude of awe and reverence. Awe and reverence are words that can express the following attitude, You yourself should not laud too highly human comprehension when faced with this ultimate of mysteries. Try never to estimate anything too highly, not even that which spiritual science, however towering, can offer, and regardless of the lofty regions to which it can extend. When you encounter this, the greatest mystery of all life, and do not believe that human words are equal to the task of expressing anything more than a tentative, solitary approach to this greatest of mysteries. All the lectures held over the past three years had as their central focus the words that also appear in St. John's Gospel, I am the light of the world. The whole aim of the lecture series on St. John's Gospel was to understand these words, Those lectures may serve to give a gradual measure of understanding by making them our own, even if only in the form of an inkling of what is written in St. John's Gospel itself I am the light of the world. If you see a light shining, have you understood by gazing into it what light is? By knowing the color or other qualities of that light, do you grasp what is shining? Do you know the sun by looking upward and receiving white sunlight as a revelation? Could you not imagine that it means comprehending something more than light within what radiates, the radiating itself? Because the being of whom we were speaking could say of himself, I am the light of the world. We were required to understand that word, yet by so doing, we have understood no more than this being's articulation of his life. I am the light of the world. Everything offered here by way of thoughts in connection with the Gospel of St. John was needful in order to show that the being who encompasses world wisdom is indeed the light of the world. But this being is far more than could be characterized in our St. John's Gospel studies. Anyone who thinks they have understood or encompassed the Christ Jesus on the basis of the lectures given on St. John's Gospel, or who believes that they have an inkling based on this single expression of his life, cannot hope to have understood the immensity of this radiant being. There, then, followed the lectures on St. Luke's Gospel, and here we learned of a different aspect. If one could in some manner use the words I am the light of the world as a tool for understanding our reflections on the John Gospel, When looking at the Gospel of St. Luke, if deeply enough fathomed, one could paraphrase these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, close quote, or, quote, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, close quote. What Christ Jesus is, and here I mean not only the light of the world, but who he is as the being who brings the greatest possible gift of devotion, who can encompass within himself the potential for such sacrificial surrender as unites all things and beings without loss of identity, but also that being who contains the utmost imaginable devotion, who is also the fount of compassion and love that streams forth warmly over all future human and earthly life. Everything contained within those words of his gives us a second aspect, To the being we call Christ Jesus. In this way, we characterized the being capable, in his compassion, of making real the greatest sacrifice, and who, through the power of his radiance, shines upon all human existence. We have described light and love as revealed within the being of Christ Jesus. Whoever takes our observations on the St. John and St. Luke Gospels in their widest connotation can to some extent gain an inkling of what in Christ Jesus signifies light, what in Him is love, and what is compassion. We have sought to comprehend in Christ Jesus two qualities in their universal magnitude. What we had to say about Christ as the spiritual light of the world that pours itself into all things as eternal wisdom, so as to live and weave in them, can give rise to the kind of spiritual vision that shines toward us out of the St. John's Gospel. And there is no attainable wisdom toward which one could strive that is not contained in some form within the Gospel of St. John. All the wisdom of the world is to be found within this Gospel, because John, who could observe all the wisdom of the world within Christ Jesus, could see it not only as it came about in remotely ancient times, but also as it will be enacted in the farthest future. This is why in descriptions connected with St. John's Gospel, one glides eagle-like high above all human existence, and in like manner one floats aloft when unfolding those vast concepts that make possible an understanding of St. John's Gospel, with its comprehensive insight into processes taking place within human souls. This all-embracing world ideation occupies that Sophia which flows to us when we unite our contemplation with St. John's Gospel. What flows from St. John's Gospel is then revealed to us, itself circling at eagle height above everything taking place in daily, hourly, and immediate human destiny. If, descending from these heights, one views the individual human soul from hour to hour, from day to day, from year to year, from century to century, from millennium to millennium, looking particularly at those forces we call human love. Then one can see this love as it wells and weaves over millennia in living human hearts and souls. On the one hand, one sees how this love can accomplish the greatest, most heroically significant deeds for humanity. On the other, how humankind's greatest sacrifices flow from a love for one being or another, for one cause or another. One then sees how this love accomplishes the human heart's highest goals and yet can be something of a double-edged sword. Take a mother. She loves her child deeply and tenderly. The child commits some misdemeanor. The mother loves her child and cannot bring herself to punish it. So deep is her love. The child commits another offense. Again, her heartfelt maternal love does not allow her to punish it. And so it continues, and the child grows up to be a wastrel and troublemaker for the rest of his life. When touching on such deep issues, it is preferable to bring examples from times long gone rather than from the present. In the first half of the 19th century, there was one such mother who loved her child dearly. It must be expressly stated that nothing can be valued above love. That love is one of the most supreme human qualities in all circumstances. This mother loved her child to the extent that she could not bring herself to punish it for a minor theft within the family. A second theft followed without consequence, and the child later became a notorious poisoner as a result of unwise, misguided maternal love. Love can perform boundless deeds when permeated with wisdom. This is precisely the significance of the love that flowed from Golgotha into the world, that it was united within one being with the light of the world and with wisdom itself. If we contemplate Christ Jesus in light of these two qualities, we recognize that love is the loftiest force in the world. We must also acknowledge how, in the deepest sense, love and wisdom belong together. What have we gleaned in presenting these observations on the Gospels of St. John and St. Luke? We have learned nothing more than that the unique attribute of Christ Jesus, which one can call the light of the world, the universal warmth of love, flowing in Him as in no other being in the world, is something no human power of understanding can ever penetrate or encompass. Whereas we were speaking of great and mighty thoughts, in relation to St. John's Gospel, ideas that soar, eagle-like, far above and beyond human minds. When following St. Luke's Gospel, one finds a quality that speaks continually and directly to every human heart. What is so telling in St. Luke's Gospel, what fills us with such warmth, is the outer expression of love, an understanding of the love willing to sacrifice itself to give itself so totally that it wills nothing more than utmost self-surrender. In seeking a picture for the mood or state of soul with which thoughts on St. Luke's Gospel justifiably face us, we can feel something akin to the feeling that comes over us from Mithraic depictions of the sacrificial bull hurrying to the sight of his sacrifice. We see it ridden by a human being. Above it are depictions of cosmic events, while below we are shown the course of earthly events. The human being hews his axe into the body of the bleeding sacrificial bull, who gives up its life so that the human being can overcome what he needs to overcome. Seeing the sacrificial bull beneath the human being, whose onward development relies on its sacrifice, sets the right underlying tone or feeling in relation to our contemplation of St. Luke's Gospel. What the sacrificial bull has signified throughout all time for those among humanity who have understood its inherent meaning, an expression of love, of an ever-intensifying love, will understand something of the depictions of love given during our St. Luke studies, where nothing other... Then this second quality of Christ Jesus was being described. Does anyone fully know another being through just two of their qualities? Because we are confronted in this being with the greatest of all mysteries, an understanding of two characteristics was essential as a beginning. Nevertheless, nobody should imagine that on the basis of two such traits they can themselves adequately conceive of this being. We have described two qualities of Christ Jesus and have not stinted in offering what we could to a dawning comprehension of the mighty significance of these two qualities. Yet we harbor too much reverence and awe in face of this being himself to imagine we have even an inkling of the further qualities residing in him. Now, there is a third aspect, one which relates to something not yet spoken of in our movement, which can only be characterized in general outline. One could say, in depicting the Christ in St. John's Gospel, he is described as acting not only as an elevated being, but as a lofty being, who is served by the realm of the wisdom-filled cherubim, this is how he is pictured in the setting of St. John's Gospel, evoking a sense of cherubim soaring aloft at eagle height. Characterizing him in the sense of St. Luke's Gospel, one would describe him in terms of the warm fire of love that wells forth from the heart of Christ, of what he means for the world through working in the heights where the seraphim are to be found. This fire of love streams throughout the world from the seraphim and it is Christ Jesus who imparts this loving fire to us on earth. Now, to the third aspect we wanted to describe. Christ's meaning for the earthly world is not only that he brought the light of wisdom, the warmth of love, not only that he brought cherubic and seraphic elements into earthly existence, but that he was and he is, when one beholds him in all his power, working through the realm of the thrones for our earth. It is through this that all strength and power is introduced into the world, so as to accomplish everything to do with wisdom, to do with love. These are the highest of the hierarchies, cherubim, seraphim, and thrones. The seraphim lead us into the depths of the human heart with their love, and the seraphim raise us up to the heights of eagles. Wisdom rays forth from the realm of the cherubim. Devotional love becomes sacrifice, as symbolized by the sacrificial bull. Strength pulsating throughout the universe, strength that engenders the power to make real the creative force that throbs throughout the world. This is represented for us by the whole symbolism of the lion the strength that is drawn toward the earth by Christ Jesus, the strength that writes everything, that brings order to all things, denoting the heights of evolved power. This is what St. Mark illustrates for us as a third attribute of Christ Jesus. When we speak in the mood of St. John's Gospel of the High Sun Being, whom we call Christ as the light of the earthly sun in a spiritual sense, when we speak in the mood of St. Luke's Gospel, of the warmth of love welling forth from the earthly Son of Christ, then we must speak in the mood of St. Mark's Gospel of the power of the earthly sun itself in its spiritual aspect. All the concealed and manifest forces present on earth, weaving to and fro, all these terrestrial forces and powers, appear before us when witnessing events As portrayed through St. Mark's Gospel. Could one but guess, however tentatively, how the ideas, how the earthly thoughts of Christ came to earth, would one understand them if one could rise up to the heights in the sense of St. John's Gospel? Could one but feel the wafting warmth of sacrificial love? Could one feel the warmth of St. Luke's Gospel streaming through oneself? If one could sense Christ's thinking in St. John's Gospel, Christ's feeling in St. Luke's Gospel, then one would learn of Christ's willing through St. Mark's Gospel. Here one learns to know those individual forces through which Christ makes real for us both love and wisdom. We will have gained an additional inkling of three qualities by adding to our considerations of the Gospels of St. Mark and St. Luke, those of St. Mark, too. One would then be able to say, We approached you in awe, O Christ, and experienced a sense of your thinking, your feeling, and your willing, as these three powers of your soul floated above us, exemplifying the loftiest of earthly paradigms. We have set out our studies thus far as though we were observing someone on a small scale, as a microcosm, noting that they consist of sentient, intellectual, and consciousness souls, and then exploring the qualities of each of these. Taking the words consciousness soul in relation to Christ, we could say an intimation of this is given to us in St. John's Gospel. The mind or intellectual soul of Christ is presented pictorially through St. Luke's Gospel, and the sentient soul is described in all its strength of will by the Gospel of St. Mark. If we can really encompass all this, it will resolve for us both the manifest and hidden forces of nature surrounding us, concentrated as they are in the individuality of Christ, and in turn shed light on all the forces of existence. In St. John's Gospel, we extended ourselves into this individuality's thinking. In St. Luke's Gospel, we immersed ourselves in the feelings of this being. Because in the latter, one does not need to penetrate so deeply into his individuality, our observation was less difficult than comprehending what we encounter in St. Mark's Gospel, namely the hidden structure of all natural and spiritual forces of the cosmos. This can all be found in the Akashic Record and will be reflected back to us when we allow the colossal document of St. Mark's Gospel to work upon us. We will then gain an intimation of all that is concentrated within the single individuality of Christ, of all that is otherwise dispersed throughout all the beings in the world. We will come to understand in its loftier brilliance what we have already learned about the fundamental orientation and principles of the various individuals described. As the secrets of world willing contained in St. Mark's Gospel are revealed, we will approach in awe the central fulcrum of the universe, Christ Jesus, and will gradually gain a sense of his thinking, his feeling, and his willing when we contemplate thinking, feeling, and willing, acting together in concert, we gain an approximate image of the whole human being. Yet we are also bound to see thinking, feeling, and willing as separate entities within the individual. Summarizing our vision even here would be insufficiently far-ranging to gain an overview of everything. While our task is made comparatively easier, By observing these three capacities separately, our picture will pale on seeing all three faculties intermingled within the human soul. We separate them for our own benefit, because we lack the strength to observe them in combination. When trying to combine them, the image pales. If one has observed the three Gospels of John, Luke, and Mark, and acquired an inkling of the thinking, feeling, and willing of Christ Jesus, then one can see, in essence, the harmony these three qualities can achieve. However, this is the point at which the picture becomes unclear and fades, because no human strength is equal to synthesizing what for us has been presented separately. For in being there is unity without separation. At last, and only now, are we able to synthesize this as a unity, a single entity, This is when the picture fades for our vision. Yet what then appears to us is all that Christ Jesus was as an earthly human being. Contemplating what Christ Jesus was as a human being, how he acted as a human being in the 33 years of his earthly existence, can now be developed with reference to St. Matthew's Gospel. The contents of this Gospel furnish us with an image of self-contained harmony. If in St. John's Gospel we described a divine God-human belonging to the entire cosmos, we depicted a unique self-sacrificing being of love as portrayed by St. Luke. And then in St. Mark's Gospel we encountered an embodiment of cosmic will. So in the Gospel of St. Matthew we we have a true image of the Palestinian individual who lived as a human being for 33 years and in whom the synthesized essence of all the aspects described by the other three evangelists are distilled. In the Matthew Gospel we meet the figure of Christ Jesus as an utterly human being, as that unique earthly human whom one is unable to understand unless one has been prepared by studying the other three Gospels. Though the individual may pale for us, This paler image, nevertheless, mirrors what we have so far learned from our studies. St. Matthew's Gospel provides the only image of Christ that can yield an insight into his personality. This is how matters now stand, which we had of necessity to characterize differently in our earlier approach to the first Gospel. Now that we have characterized two further Gospels, we can explore how they relate inwardly to one another, how we can gain an insight into Christ Jesus when, on the basis of our previous studies, we approach the human being who became what he did become through Christ Jesus. The God-man draws near to us through St. John, and as a corollary to St. Luke's Gospel, this being unites within himself in the form of teachings of compassion and love the streams from all directions that had evolved out of Zarathustrianism and Buddhism. Everything pre-existing came toward us in relation to Luke's Gospel. When we consider the Matthew Gospel, what comes to the fore in all its exactitude and immediacy are his own folk roots in the ancient Hebrew people. The man Jesus, as he lived in accordance with his origins in the Hebrew people, we will recognize why the blood of this ancient people had to be the means by which it could contribute to earthly humanity precisely through the blood of Christ Jesus. When we consider the Matthew Gospel, we encounter Hebrew antiquity, its mission and the significance of this people for the whole world, for the birth of a new epoch, the birth of Christianity issuing from the ancient Hebrew world as we learn of powerfully comprehensive ideas through St. John's Gospel, as we gain a feeling for the warmest, most boundless sacrificial love through St. Luke, an inkling of the forces of all beings and all realms through St. Mark's Gospel, we now acquire knowledge of and a feeling for what lives in humanity and its earthly evolution through Christ Jesus in Palestine. What Christ Jesus was as a human being what he still is, all the secrets of human history and its becoming. All this is contained in the Gospel of St. Matthew. Whereas Mark represents the secrets of all beings and realms of earth and the cosmos, as connected with the earth, one finds the mysterious secrets of human history and destiny in St. Matthew's Gospel. We learned of the concept of Sophia from St. John, of the mysteries of sacrifice and love, from Luke's Gospel, about the forces of the cosmos and the earth, from Mark's Gospel. So we hear of human life, human history, human destiny, by studying St. Matthew's Gospel. We would now be in a position to investigate St. Mark's Gospel had we, over the past seven years of our spiritual scientific movement, been able to spend four years working on guiding principles and three years deepening these as a way of shedding light on various spheres of life. Then we could, as it were, have crowned the entire edifice with a contemplation of Christ Jesus in the context of the Matthew Gospel. However, as human life is not perfect, and as this has not been the case, at least not for those within this spiritual scientific movement, It is therefore not possible, without causing confusion, to move instantly to an exploration of St. Mark's Gospel itself. To imagine, on the basis of the John or Luke Gospels, that any real knowledge of Christ Jesus could follow would be a mistake. Similarly, one might believe that one could, unilaterally, make use of everything that might be said in relation to the Mark Gospel misunderstandings would then be more numerous than before. For these reasons, another way needs to be found. What should now follow as far as this is possible in the near future is a study of St. Matthew's Gospel. To this end, we will not yet plumb the mighty depths of St. Mark's Gospel, thereby avoiding the misconception that to describe just one aspect of a person is tantamount to describing the entire being misunderstandings will thus be avoided. We will, therefore, present as far as is possible the ancestry of Christ in the ancient Hebrew people, or what we can also call the birth of Christianity in Palestine. Over the coming days, our study will focus on the Matthew Gospel, avoiding, as we have, the idea that a single trait can adequately describe an entire being. This will make it easier to follow what is to be said In relation to the Saint Mark's Gospel. The end of Lecture Three.